Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the very first notes to the final, fully produced progression. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I am intimately familiar with the magic of music creation, but I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with the acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. This week, my guest is Fort Worth-based country artist Joe Savage. A regular in the DFW music scene, Joe is also the host of Deep Ellum Radio's country show, Mahogany Driftwood, which airs on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Today, Joe's here to discuss First Sign of Danger, the latest single from his new album, El Camino. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. My name is Emmeline, and I'm so excited because our guest today is Joe Savage. Joe, how are you doing? I'm great. Yeah, things are great out here. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. I'm really glad to be able to do it. I'm so glad that you were able to do it. We have multiple connections. We worked together on Dallas Music Network, and we worked Uh together on this very station on Deep Ellum Radio, because you have a Tuesday night show. That's right, called Mahogany Driftwood. Mahogany Driftwood. Yeah. At 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we even share a time slot, just different days. Yeah, right? Cool. So I'm so excited that you're here, that we get to talk about that, that we get to talk about your show, but especially that we get to talk about your beautiful song, First Sign of Danger. um, Thank you our audience is going to get to hear acoustically right now. Yeah. Running at the first sight of danger Well, getting gone's always been plan A You left an open tab down at the local spot Do I feel obliged to pay? Where are you going? What are you running to? What are you thinking? Cause I ain't got a clue. I'm missing something. Oh, just tell me the truth. What am I to do about this bothering you? We made a promise that day in the backyard. Did you really mean those things that you said? Cause I'll work a little harder to be better. I wish that you would understand where you're going. What are you running to? What are you thinking? Cause I ain't got a clue. I'm missing something. Oh, just tell me the truth. What am I to do about spotting you? Wait until the morning for you leaving. You know everything's not always fair trade. And you get along just fine until the other shoe drops. Wish you take a look at with the street. Where are you going? What are you running to? What are you thinking? Because I ain't got a clue. I'm missing something. Oh, just tell me the truth. What am I to do? It's like an eyesore of a tooth. Could we get down to the root? What's bothering you? Yay! That was lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for letting me play that. I'll really enjoy that song. Absolutely. I love the walking bass. Thank you. It's a very it's a very traditional country characteristic. 
Yeah, I like doing that little bump, 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 bump. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it puts people <laughs> in the mood. You know, they know what to yeah. expect, which I guess is my first question for you. How organically did this song evolve? Was it something that just sort of came out? Yeah, pretty organic. So I was walking like when I did it and I brought a little uh, Martin backpacker guitar. You know, if you cut the body, the top of the body and the bottom of the body off, right and straight, even with the neck of the guitar, then that would be like a backpacker's guitar. And um, I got one for a hundred bucks used. And so I was planning on walking the Camino to Santiago, which is 500 miles. It takes people, you know, anywhere between a month to like two months to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was the first little first song that came to my head. So, you know, and I was writing it over a couple of days and I had a little notepad in case, you know, I don't really use the notepad as much as you'd think or one I would think when I buy them. But I usually just repetitively say it over and over until I can't forget it, you know, and then I add stuff onto it. But sometimes, you know, it'll come in a little bit more. It'll come faster. So I'll pull out the notepad and get some get some notes down, you know, make sure I don't lose a key phrase, you know, or something like that. So that's how that one unfold, unfold, unfolded. <laughs> unfolded. <laughs> unfilled. I would unfilled. imagine that it unfilled a little bit um, over the course of 500 miles. That's quite a walk. Yeah. And so I, that was the first one I did. So it's the one that I played the most. And then it's the first one that I recorded when I got home. And by the so, first one, you mean the first song, not the first time you walked 500 miles no, the multiple times. This is the first time I ever walked 500 miles, but I want to do it again. Do you really? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I was going to do it in September and uh, October this year, but I wanted to do it in spring this year. Because like, so my promise to myself at the end of that was to do it every two years and wow. to, keep myself, to keep myself healthy and mentally, spiritually and physically. So I couldn't do it because of COVID. And then I've been trying to squeeze it in in the fall, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, so yes, I can't wait to do it again. But that was my first time to do anything like that. And a lot of the people were asking me, you know, where are you going? Where, where, what are you doing this for? Right? <laughs> really? So the <laughs> yeah. chorus is more questions more that were posed to you. To me, yeah, right. Than you so, posing them to a romantic interest. Right. And then see, people think it's about a romantic mm -hmm. interest too. And a lot of the stuff that I was writing was kind of like, friendship stuff you know um i've been single for a few years and there wasn't any woman that i was sad to, to leave behind to go on this trip you know what i mean right. so <laughs> it was more like i was leaving the bars behind really you know and i was leaving the whole music scene behind and things like that so the songs were more geared towards those relationships you know and most of them were friendships i love so. that you talk about that ani defranco has this great line where she says you know I think of your letters as love letters, which is the way I think of songs and that it is the writing of them that seems to carry us along. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to assume that every song is a love letter, mm -hmm. but we, well, forget yeah. that the, we forget that the recipient of that love letter can be ourselves. Sometimes mm -hmm. what we're actually having is a conversation internally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the key to these songs too. And that's what that was. I mean, part of walking. So for the first couple of weeks, I went alone. So I met people, you know, but uh, for the most part, I had no obligations to anyone else. And my inner monologue became really, really apparent and uh, very loud. Um, it was just me and me and me and them, you know. <laughs> you and your thoughts and a lot yeah, of road. So that's, you know, the, into that song too, you know, uh, running at the first side of danger. You know, that's more of what I was being accused of doing, right? Like, uh, and for me, walking the Camino was like something I had really bad I would do for the 10 years or so. You know, I've always wanted to do it since I discovered about it, you know. So it was like running at the first side of danger, getting gone's always been plan A. So that's what I think people would think about me, you know, that this mm -hmm. is like, oh, another, another setback. Here's another escape. You know what I mean? 
but it wasn't i felt like it was more than that and that's kind of the song's more my rebuttal back to like people you know getting gone's always been plan a you left an open tab down at the local spot you knew i'd feel obliged to pay you know and that's kind of just funny and then uh i've had friends do that to me more or less you know? <laughs> like, but it's funny it's, but it works with the character of the song you know like even each line has for me each line in songs really can draw a lot of my life together you know and take and and create new characters out of it you know so like just by those four lines you know we have this kind of image of a character and it's whatever you want to interpret it to be but you know they're they're running away from something that maybe the narrator doesn't want them to leave you know yeah and then uh the narrator cares about them and then the the character knows that you know so i don't know well, and you've um, got this great line, right? We made a promise that day in the backyard. Did you really mean those things that you said? What it sounds like, you know, and then it says, because I'll work a little harder to be better. It's yeah. like that was an internal monologue. That was your promise that you made to yourself that you were going to go on this walk. Yeah, for sure. And you're challenging yourself to be like, did I really mean that? Are we really going to do this? Yeah. And then at the same time, creating a picture of something more like, like humble and like I was trying, to, not humble, but um uh, down home that everyone can relate to you know like so i wanted to picture you know i've been to backyard weddings and things like that so the ultimate promise in the backyard could be the somebody could imagine a wedding you know but then i thought you could also imagine down to friends when your kids in a treehouse or something but also you could imagine uh midlife marriage making promises and things like that our kids with their dads i just felt like that line came to me that was one of those i think that's a great line also because it's so simple and universal and i feel like those lines really come from like the meditation part of writing and then the repetitiveness because that's that for me was the uh third verse i wrote even though it's the second verse in the recording now so i was already you know i'm already trudging along this little pathway i'm making as far as cadence goes and rhyme and the meter and stuff you know and by that time it's like really easy to let thoughts kind of go in and go out of that yeah. you know where your first verse you're kind of forming it you know yeah, but now, I'll have... use the recorder sometimes too, to not lose a melody, you know, when but... you find, yeah, I feel like when you find a natural melody, there's something to be said for making sure you capture that. Yeah. Because they come <laughs> and go. But if you, if you figured out how to catch that as they fly by and to hold on to it, usually that instinct is really fruitful and song and yeah. tends to be one of those things because it came out of a place that you can't really identify. It speaks mm -hmm. to a place in other people that they can't identify. Yeah. And you know, there's a, have you heard of Max Martin? Oh, yeah. Of course oh, I know Max Martin. You know, he was sleeping when he wrote those Britney Spears songs. I was like, wrote... I grew up in the age of Britney and Backstreet. I know exactly <laughs> well, who I Max this, Martin is. I, I love hearing him talk about that, how he got up and got his recorder. Hit me, baby, one more time. You know, or something like that. And he's like, it was terrible. But look, you know, look where it went. Look what, look what happened. And the melody came from, you know, that, that space you're talking about. I mean, I want it that way. It's the same thing, right? Like, what do those words mean? Does anybody really know? Yeah. Yeah, but, exactly. It's great. But they speak to something deep down inside that we can't always articulate properly with words. Yeah. And I think, like you were saying, love and romance and sex and stuff are hard to talk about in real life. So people sometimes find a way to put that into every song <laughs> as a listener, you know. Either that or we want to superimpose our experiences with them in every song. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do as a listener. I am totally looking, and a reader too, really? more when I'm a reader, but I'm looking for characters to identify with. I mean, that's, I'm looking for experiences to make mine, you know, and I want songs like that too, to, songs that push me to express, you know, things that I feel yeah. uh, differently, you know what I mean? But I that's me. I'm, I'm a total consuming, <laughs> consuming listener. You're always <laughs> you know? looking for your story. 
You're right, you're right. And and just like, have you ever seen the Langoliers? There's another '80s reference. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a Langolier when it comes to music. That's awesome. <laughs> and reading. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So as a songwriter, then, do you think about your audience as other Langoliers? Do you think about your audience as other people who are looking for a story that they can fit themselves into? Yeah. I mean, now I do for especially. And I, I, I didn't always, but now I really want to communicate. I really want people to like my stuff. I mean, that's a total desire and goal is to find an audience and have them captivate them and create stuff that makes them come back and create stuff that makes them want to purchase what I'm creating. And so I think the best way to get there is to being true to myself, figuring out more about me and then really expressing something true to me so that those that have those same feelings can resonate with it. You know, I think some of the stuff I've put out up to this point has been a, a mixture of trying to be true, but also riding towards different audiences you know my first album that I tried to put out songs were singing you know I wrote all these songs in kind of a pure way but with no thought at all about an audience you know just for me just for writing for me and then when I recorded them try to get all the good players and make this cool sound and all these music and you know things like that and and then uh, later I made a couple another album that was more geared towards the depressing nature of like playing at the cellar or grotto these kind of smoky bars where everyone's drunk as fuck and I'm drunk as fuck too. And like, you know, so now I'm away from that and trying to just who, who am I, you know, like, what have I done? What have I been through? You know, if I can discover that, I think that I'll find people might relate to it. You know? I think that's a really beautiful message that the deeper we dig inside ourselves, the more we have to use to relate to other people. Yes. I'm finding that that's key to my happiness. These, you know, walking the Camino not only gave me those songs, but in first sight of danger, but it gave me a real peace of mind that I hadn't found before through all other tries with travel, other tries with spirituality. And it's really kind of sewed up a lot of problems that I was having as far as succeeding and moving past these kind of different levels I kept arriving at, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with listening to that internal monologue and being so sick and tired of it finally, you know, because when we're around everybody else, I can blame you, you know? It's like, no, that's not me. That's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can also get out of your own head because you have somewhere else to go. But when it's just you and the road, yeah, you know, there's this great Matchbox Twenty line. I can't seem, or I can't get myself to go away. Uh huh. And I think that's very much what isolation, especially isolation that's intentional, is about. Is yeah. For the first while, you're like, wow, it's really nice to be alone and everything's quiet and how great, especially as a musician, because we're always in noisy places with noisy people. Yeah. So being exactly. in a place where things are orally still is very strange. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that more and more, you know, um, I live in Granbury now and I'm in a camper and I bought a lot. It's great. It's quiet. And just, you know, nobody's going to come over here and hang out because it's too far. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's great. And I, I can't be getting trashed at the bar and driving to Granbury, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, so I'm less, I, the more, the more that I come home instead of go around and look for those loud, noisy people so I can be loud, noisy too. You know, the more that I enjoy this and um, I have more meaningful conversations when I do have them. But I'm also a believer in the seasons. You know, there's seasons for loneliness and quiet time and seasons for noise. Yeah. Seasons for noise. Yeah, I like what I, you said, though. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think that's fascinating. I We talked a little bit offline about your walk to Camino, but this has been such a pivotal experience in your life that you actually titled the album El Camino. Can you share yeah. just bottom line base i learned the term tldr recently so i'm gonna throw that out oh what does that mean too long didn't read 
I'm so oh, glad you didn't know either. I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> Somebody was like, let me give you the TLDR. And I was like, I don't, what is that? I feel like yeah. I've officially reached that age where I'm no longer hip. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we have. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Hashtag 80s babies. Um, I love, yeah. That's my favorite quality. <laughs> I wish I could go back to the 90s and live in 1996 or something. <laughs> Man, I, I hold that belief sometimes that some of the best music ever came out of the 90s. Yeah. That's just a I, good decade. There was really good music then. Country and R&B and pop. It was all really good. I just yeah. missed like the no phone thing. I wonder what life would be like all the time if we didn't have internet and phone. You know, I, mean, no I love ones. the internet and phone, but I think there's certain aspects that we've lost forever because yeah. of the, the you know the new technology. <laughs> but. It was yeah, the ice storm in Texas was a moment I think where we got a taste of that. And I mean, there was mm -hmm. the unfortunate and awful trade off, right, where a lot of us didn't have electricity or water. Yeah. But, well, and I love electricity. <laughs> you know what I love in an ice storm? Heat. Heat is really yeah. nice. Clean just water, like, also a plus. Um, I guess what I yearn for and have nostalgia for is like if you and I were going to meet for coffee, I would call you from my landline and say, hey, I'm getting ready to go or I'll meet you there. Right. And yeah. you're going to say, yeah. And then we meet there. You know, there's no, there's no other, if I come over, I don't text you outside your house and be like, I'm here. You know, I have to go up to the door and knock, you know, <laughs> like I miss those little things. And but, when we're there, there's no urge to pick up the phone and stare and see what's going on in the rest of the world. You can just be present at that coffee shop. Exactly. I wonder what I, what kind of things I would do, you know, if I didn't have the, those kind of like placating, they're like pacifiers, you know? Yeah. It's like our modern world needs, pass. I need pacification in this world, you know, like honestly. There has to be some downtime to kind of check out in some way. But it is but, definitely uh, a band-aid over a bullet hole. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So the reason why I titled it El Camino, you asked me. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, so but, can you give us a TLDR, if you would, TLDR, of, yeah. of this experience that you had? Yeah. Uh, well, El Camino literally translates to the way or the road, but it's in like spiritual terms, it's the way, you know, and then for me, I like the Tao, you know, Tao Te Ching and all that. The, I love Eastern philosophy. And so the way is, you know, there, that's a whole thing in the Tao is following the way and understanding the way. And in English, El Camino de Santiago is translated as the way of St. James. And so there's a couple of different movies, like The Way is a movie with Emilio Estevez. And it gives you a, a good understanding of what the Camino is and what, what it is you know, what it could be. And I wrote it on El Camino. So I just love the double entendre more than anything too. I love the double meaning. My second album I titled, uh, or my third album I titled Solo. And it was a solo album, but it's S-O-L-O-W. Yeah. The last one I released is called Live or Die, but it's L-I-V-E-R space D-Y-E. So you dying your, dying your yeah. liver. <laughs> so the El Camino, it just, it, I love embracing the side of me that that love Spanish language too. And I like the hip Chicano El Camino car, you know? Um, I just think it's another one of those things that can be really universal and let everyone imagine what they want to imagine when they, when they read the album title. But if they dig deeper, they can see some other real concrete reasons, you know? And you made this so, commitment to walk 500 miles. Yeah. And that, and, and so the TLDR uh, is, you know, it was hard and, uh, I struggled and, you know, the first day I did nine kilometers, it's like maybe six miles or something. And I had blisters everywhere. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I bought, when I was buying my gear, I bought these old school, uh, red wing boots that like Jack Kerouac wore. <laughs> 
and I was going to wear those. And, and I remember I was getting coffee at Avoca and this uh, barista that I had been telling about my trip. I was like, have you tried out your gear yet? I was like, no, try out. what are you talking about? And so I went out to Fort Nature Center and I walked for four hours and I had blisters, terrible, terrible blisters. And so I took my boots back, bought some more appropriate ones. I got sick at some point, you know, I got a little lonely. Like I was, I went through some really emotional and cathartic stuff too. You know, like some of the things that bother me, you know, about like my relationship with my father or some of the bad decisions that I made in my life, you know, and some of the qualities I don't particularly enjoy about myself. So going through accepting those things and it was really great to meet people. And one of the coolest things that happened was, um, I'm such a pleaser, you know, I love to just earn my worth, you know, always needing that. And so I have, at one point I have like 10 people that are walking Camino with around me in this cafe and we're all kind of walking together. And somehow I'm the leader of this bucking madness and they, none of them speak Spanish. And so I'm ordering for everybody and I'm just catering for everything. And like this old lady, she was like, Hey, come over here. And she's like, whenever you get tired of, you know, doing this, she's like, walk slower, don't walk faster. She's like, let them, let them get ahead of you, you know? And so it's true. Like if you walk faster in this life, then you will see those people again over and over and you'll just continually be racing them, even if you're just trying to get away from them. So slowing down allowed me to really see a pace and then they were gone. And I saw a lot of them later, but you see them in such a different way. Like you're passing them when they're like broken, you know, like if you slow down and pass them, then they've had a real, they've had something happen that made, that allowed you to catch them again. Most of the time you never see them again, you know, on the Camino. I think that's true in life too. You know, that uh, for me in music by slowing down and, and redirecting in 2018, you know, that's kind of what spawned a lot of this August, 2018. Uh, I was living in a $300 shithole off Magnolia Avenue and there was like standing water in the fucking corner and like, drinking at the bar across the street upper 90 and trying to write songs and trying to play gigs but just totally involved in myself you know and so i i had to stop and i uh yeah i went down to uh houston area brazoria county for a year and that's i got a bartending job and i showed up with a black eye because i went and got the job without the black eye and then went back to move the rest of my shit went to the bar got hammered and fought somebody i was 34 years old so you know he had it coming but uh should have seen the other guy yeah exactly he was a marine you know and and we had a misunderstanding about bar stuff stuff that happens at bars and um i was being annoying and so he swatted at me and then i threw my beer in his face like a movie you know <laughs> <laughs> but anyways it just reminded me of that song by jerry jeff walker that ray wiley hubbard wrote called uh redneck mother 34 and drinking and a honky tonk <laughs> kicking in bitch asses and raising hell so anyways, I, you know, that spawned the Camino was getting down there, out of, getting out of Fort Worth, getting out of the music scene a little bit, getting out of the bar and kind of just putting a pause on stuff. And then, uh, yeah, slowing down. That's what the point was, getting slowing down from the race that I was in. You know, I just felt like I was racing because people that I went to open mics with were famous now, world famous, you know, people that people that have served beer in the stockyards are nationally famous, you know, and it's like, where's, where's mine? You know, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? I don't even know. Like, you know. I love that you bring up that sometimes you have to slow down to get out of that and not that you have to speed up or that you have to sidestep, but that you have to like take the time to listen to your own rhythm and to find your own voice and that noise and be true to that because it, this industry can be such a rat race. Mm -hmm. 
And there's, especially, I mean, we go back to the internet, right? And how awful it is that we have constant access to all of this. The cancer of comparison is rampant because we have 24 seven access to it. Oh yeah, you're right. I've unfollowed many of what I would say are my peers and dare say competitors, but you know, I've unfollowed so many people that I, if I find myself comparing myself to them, boom, unfollow. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but it's made my life better because of that. What did you say? The cancer of comparison is such a great yeah. phrase. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is, it, it really eats at you. It does. And it prevents you from doing what you were put here to do, right? Like it yes. prevents you from listening to that voice and following your journey because you become obsessed with everybody else's. Exactly. That's what I mean about some of the albums that I was trying to touch on that I put out was, you know, not writing for an audience, just writing for a very specific audience, you know, of my peers and competitors, people that are doing the same thing as me or, or similar things. Yeah, I think that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Because what you're doing is you're muting your voice because we're always going to be a second rate impersonation of somebody else. Yeah, there's there's no authenticity and mimic and mimicry, you know, <laughs> and really the only superpower any of us have is that there's no one else like us. Yeah, and I think that I agree. My, I, something I do, I love to mimic and, and uh, do impressions, kind of put myself inside another person's shoes, you know. But then taking that and kind of just filing away and letting it come out organically is the key, I think, you know, and, and people say I like to mimic Johnny Cash or I sound like Johnny Cash. And I love that. I, it's, I really have embraced that. And I have a Johnny Cash cover band now, you know, there so, you go. but mimicry only can take me so far. It's like, you know, even uh, our Merle Haggard was almost a Marty, Marty Robbins uh, impersonator, you know, before he finally struck hits. And then he has more country hits than anyone else. So, well, almost. don't quote me. <laughs> no, but you touched on something really important, which is that there is a space for mimicry and mm -hmm. you can make that a bit that you do. You can have a cash cover band, right? You can allow yourself to be compared. And I, the follow up question I always ask when people compare me to any artist is, oh, do you like them? <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I need to start saying that. Well, you know, because sometimes, yeah, what sometimes are you, you have that visceral reaction where they compare you to somebody that you're not sure you like or that you're like, are they good? Is that good? Yeah. So I'll jokingly just be like, do you like them? Because if they're comparing you to somebody they like, then they're just then, reaching into their vocabulary to give you a compliment. And that's exactly. not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I've had to accept that. That's the way people relate to new artists or new people that they're going to consider new artists and bring into their circle. You know, like thinking about people taking you into their homes and into their lives, is, it, it makes it kind of tender, you know. Absolutely. I, yeah, not even kind of tender. I think that's such a, I mean, we have the ability through the music we write to be there on somebody's worst day. Yeah, and yeah. What a gift that is to be able yeah, to that's step into there and well, be I present. Mean, yeah, not only just day to day. I think that music, some of the music I've listened to, and still it happens now, but informs like my life, my philosophy, my whole ethos, or whatever. You know, like the way I'm viewing the world. You know, I mean Jim Morrison, the Beatles, Bob Dylan. Like, I mean, I was 20 years in my 20s, just gobbling this shit up. You know, I didn't get any of it until my 20s. You know, me and my house, we weren't Randy. My stepdad's the only guy at the house to listen to music very really? as a passion, you know, and none of us understood, you know, how music people can be. Now he and I have lots of talks about music, but back then he felt probably like he was the only one in the house, you know, but he, he has really great knowledge of music. <laughs> That's really cool. So, so when, I was devouring stuff in my 20s. I think I was old enough to really appreciate it and let it inform kind of my decisions that I've been making. So but, when did you step into songwriting then? When was the age where you decided, yes, this is the right way to express myself? I picked up the guitar when I was 25 and 
that was 2008 and i from the beginning i was i was determined you know i was already writing poetry and i was competing in slam competitions and things slam poetry there was a pretty big scene here in fort worth for a while got the black dog on tuesday nights when I turned 21, you know, I was sitting down there on the corner writing poetry and, you know, trying to figure out what the artistic desire I had was, you know. And uh, even when I was like playing gangster in high school, I was still writing raps and these really deep and introspective poems and raps about like what was going on in our friend groups, what was going on in my life. And everyone like the people around me always thought it was really interesting at, le at, the, at the least, you know. So, yeah, when I picked up the guitar, I was ready. And uh, I never did well in those slam competitions, unfortunately, but. So slam is just kind of like, you know, you go up there and almost rap to no music. It's kind of, and you say poetry with a really emotive style. You have a cadence. Whatever. Cadence, yeah. And I loved it. A rhythm, that. I yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful metaphor, right? Because what you learned in that is you had to slow down to find your voice. Because yeah. slam is fast. Slam is fast. Yeah, two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you have to you have to get in and out. And there are a lot of words that happen in two minutes. And you have to sort of run the gamut of emotions over the course of those two minutes as yeah. you're throwing out, like you said, this rap to no music mm -hmm. that has internal and external rhyme of which you have to keep track. Yeah. And, you know, there was another thing that happened at the Black Dog. That's a great uh, observation, by the way. But um, at the Black Dog on Wednesdays and Sundays, they had uh, Dave and Daver doing the jazz. Uh, and yeah. me and my buddies, you know, even, even some of my more hardcore uh, high school chums would go down there and we would pass the notebook back and forth and do poetry phrases over their jazz phrases, you know. And then we'd go back and read them on Tuesdays, you know, when it was just straight up open mic. All that stuff was great. I mean, Jack Kerouac really. Waiting tables introduced me to a broad spectrum of people. You know, I have to be really grateful for those opportunities. I I, I met a lot of people who had graduated college. You know, already from UT. I'm one of the guys that I met graduated UT. He was a philosophy major. We hung out. He informed so much of my thinking. And then later, I met a guy from Georgia who, you know, Scott Wood was the other guy. Colin. Adams is the guy I met from Georgia who already had a band going and would play music his whole life, you know, and he gave me the Kerouac books and Hemingway books and could take me over to his apartment. He had this giant record collection and it was really cool. He was a cool guy. But Kerouac just stole my heart, man, from the beginning and kept it for a decade or more. You know, he did a well, lot of things. And it features solar artistically and it informs, like you said, your decisions. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. when, you, when you allow yourself to be romanced by that kind of yeah. language it leads you to do things like walk 500 miles. Yeah. And, and, and all of that stuff is really fast paced, you know, Kerouac riding on the road, on the scroll and fast, 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 Benzedrine and, you know, uh, all the jazz, fast notes, fast playing, you know, divide all the, how far can you divide uh, stanza or whatever, you know? Um. <laughs> how many metric feet can you fit into one? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah and then that walk in the Camino was slow and it slowed it down you know where are you going that's the kind of where am I going why am I doing this you know it hurt you know a lot of it hurt it's like body hurt you know for the first two two weeks and it's, oh, I like I like hurt I forgot how hurt feels you know yeah. I'm in the bar drinking getting soft you know playing these songs I'm getting good I'm meeting people but you know on the inside I'm softening up like like whatever yeah. <laughs> live like die die in my liver you know and that's the thing, right? As you say, you know, I'm missing something. Yeah. And it sounds like that was your way of going in search of that thing. Absolutely. Was saying, yeah, I, I mean, recognize that externally this feels really good, but internally there's something off. Oh, exactly. And, and you know, it's obvious sometimes it's celebrated to be a little off in, in, as an artist, you know. And I think I'm over that. I think that's part of me that doesn't really want to be an artist. The 27 Club or I'm way past that. But 
things like that, those ideas, those fantasies of being a degenerate like Tom Fansant, you know, or Blaze Foley, who's not a total degenerate, who kind of just is this noble homeless guy who defended somebody he had nothing to do with and got shot and killed for it. Towns Van Zandt was electrocuted, you know, had electroshock therapy and, you know, drank himself to death. So I think that's part of this idea of an artist. I'm rambling. I've lost my train of thought. No, I think, I think I really appreciate that you say that actually, because I do think that there's this sort of glamorization sometimes in our industry of not having your crap together because it Mm -hmm. means that you have a deep, dark space from which to write. And right, it must be profound right perfect yeah and i think yeah i know except <laughs> ideally what we do as musicians i think is you go into those deep dark spaces and you write your way out of them well yeah and the and the idea for me is to to not feel bad anymore you know <laughs> it's not to perpetually <laughs> right. feel terrible you know i don't need another relationship to write from you know i know plenty of artists who use that mode to go in and out of their muse you know oh, uh, and that's awful. kind of cliche right we all know plenty of people like that oh but, but yeah more- but the second you have a conversation with someone like that at an open mic where they're like oh yeah i need to i need to take some losing inspiration i'm like well and the oh, people no. i think people who are good artists don't talk about it they do it because they're not processing the right pieces in themselves I think once you start to, and one thing that changed me was my stepdad one day, I don't remember what we were talking about, but he was like, well, you don't support your own art, you know? And he was floored. He's like, you don't like your own shit, you know? (laughs) And I was like, well, do you like it? You know, but it's a good point. It's like, and once I started to like my stuff, it changed me, you know, it changed, it changed, changed who I was. I wanted to do it more. I wanted to invest more money in it. You know, I have an amazing guitar now. I have an amazing PA. I've spent so thousands of dollars on these albums. And all of that changed once I started liking my art, you know, and liking myself. You know, my art was a reflection of who I was. And, you know, by not liking the art, it just means I don't like me, you know. And like that it was the case for a long time, you know. And then the music's so beautiful that... I think it it allowed me to like myself a little bit easier. You know, I, I like to write more than, you know, narrative writing, which I stopped doing, you know, a few years ago. I don't really do that anymore, except for maybe a, a rant on Facebook here. And there, you know? <laughs> that, is, that is very much the trend these days. <laughs> right. I might start a blog and call it a web page, though, you know. <laughs> but, um, oh. yeah, so, I mean, I think that's key too. slowing down. And liking my stuff, you know, and uh, liking liking what comes out of me, you know. And then that goes back to what we were saying earlier that I've heard long, long heard that you don't choose your songs, your songs choose you, you know. And then kind of like this ethereal way that their float songs are kind of floating by and it's up to you to grab them. If you want a number one hit, then you got to grab it, you know. And I love that. You don't choose think, your yeah. songs. Your songs choose you. Yeah, I don't know where I've heard it, but I've heard it more than once. I think that's such a poignant observation, though, about how organically songs arrive sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes they come like in a trickle, line yeah. by line by line over the course of months or years. And you're like, is this song ever going to get written? Why did I become the vessel for this? This is the world's most frustrating experience. But then you have moments where a song wakes you up in the middle of the night or, you know, it's always the most inconvenient times for me. I don't know about you, but I'll be driving and I'll be like, oh, a song. And I'll be like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, And then like you said, you sit there and you, you like sing it over and over in your head. You're like, I can't forget this. If it's but good I can't enough. write it down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or in the shower where you're like, well, I don't know where to write this down now. 
Yeah. But- my my buddy <laughs> swears he lost the greatest song ever written in the shower. And he talks about how it went down the drain. <laughs> That's awesome. I had a friend once give me a waterproof notepad, which is such a weird thing to market. It was not waterproof. Spoiler alert. Waterproof notepad. Yeah, I bought some of those. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't actually work. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Sorry to ruin the illusion for all of our listeners here. But if you see a waterproof notepad, not actually waterproof. But some songs do. They choose you and it's almost like they're given to you fully formed. Yeah, man. Some songs come right out. You know, it's just about listening. I think, you know, I just take breaks. I mean, I do have a bowl of like one liners, but I have no songs that are like maybe I have a few notebooks with incomplete songs that I might go back to later in life. But there's no like song that I'm working on longer than maybe a week. Or maybe a month. I mean, once the initial nuggets there, then the singing it live and singing it at home kind of polishes it out, you know, and then things do change. Words might be added, but the, the gold is like right there in the beginning. Like you're saying, it's totally organic. It's just, if I can sit down and just pick up the guitar, you know, I think about Chris Stapleton talks about just find a couple chords and just strum and do that for a few minutes and just see what kind of happens. Let yourself get in it. You know, I'll get my pad out or whatever and, you know, I'll start trying to figure it out. But Currently, I'm pretty, pretty busy with like the business side of everything that, you know, I haven't been, I haven't even been doing, I haven't been doing that lately. You know, I'm still thinking of gold nuggets and stuff, but. Yeah. I think for me, there's a feeling that comes over me when a song is about to happen. Yeah. I, you know, it, this is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to have to use it because it's the first one that popped into my head. We have an epileptic husky in our family and mm-hmm. she knows if she's about to have a seizure, like she'll come oh, and she wow. paws at you. Yeah. You know, like her body changes. She can anticipate it coming. I feel like songs are that way for me. You know, like you get this sensation and you're like, oh, a song is coming. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. I think that for me, that happens when I'm really calm and, you know, there's nothing else going on. I think if I can, when I, you know, I'm already making pretty good money on my music, but I'd like to get to where I can take a few months off every year and go and just be. And I know that when I do that, because I've done that for a long time here and there but i get really creative after the first week you know after being really tuned out of all my daily shit and then finally kind of tuning into this kind of space that doesn't really have any parameters like oh where are you gonna go you know for me the question was you want to lay you want to lay in the camper another day at walmart and it's like yeah dude (laughs) you know i just want to sleep right here today and i you know i've done that a few times and like there's nowhere to go in your camper in america anyway so walmart (laughs) walmart will allow i've gotten the red sticker at a couple of walmarts they allow you like seven days (laughs) but um yeah it's nice to just be there you know it's nice to get a change of scenery and it's nice to like you said unplug from the daily life there's this philosopher named mihai chicksent mihai who talks a lot about creativity and flow Mm-hmm. And he has this that. theory that you have to be intentional about allowing yourself to get into that space where songs come or where art comes or where you yeah, become a channel for it. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of us as artists, we would live in that space if we could. Mm-hmm. Like our natural state is to want to be in that space. Yeah, I think so. I mean, But the daily life stuff gets in the way. Yeah. And we've trained ourselves over time to shut down flow so that we can be functional. Yeah, that's a really good observation. I think Thanks. Yeah, I like that. But like I mean, a said, lot of what I do in my garden is uh, I love gardening because of that. It keeps me in a real nice, like, you know, the Taos and like the Buddhists call it the beginner mind, oh. you know, and I think that's kind of akin to what you're saying. Get into this space where every, that's the most important thing in co-writing, in my opinion, is that beginner mind, that everything's, everything is acceptable, you know, and that's why it's so hard to, it's hard to get your own self in that space sometimes and then to expect somebody else to on cue go there with you. I, yeah. I co-write with a, a girl named Amy and we have a philosophy that we call dare to suck. 
Yeah, dare to suck, baby. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <crazy. you're> like, <laughs> throw it out there. Even if it's awful, you never know. Because you gotta even, get the and even if your thought is awful, <clears throat> it might spark something really brilliant in the other person. And and in yourself too, you know. I mean, yeah, you gotta get the ball. I think if if what we said prior to what we just said now is true, then you're channeling it anyway. So it's just your inability to understand it properly. And yeah, you got to get it out there. It's because then like you're saying, maybe the other person will see a new piece to it, you know? And I love that. Your inability to see it properly. So what you're actually doing is distilling your own sense of what you're trying to say. Right. I mean, aren't we kind of like, and I think it's important to listen to other people's stuff and to read and like keep up with popular culture too, you know, because maybe this ethereal space where songs are coming from, you know, is also taking those things into consideration because if it's going to reach people, you know, then it should have, it, you know, should be informed by that a little bit. Yeah. I get I lost mean, in the Bob Dylan and Beatles and shit like that. You know what I mean? It's like, move on, Joe. <laughs> no, I, I think you've touched on something really important, though, which is that we tend to be sort of terrible guessers at what other people are going to relate to when we try. Yeah. Yeah. When we really make an effort to try and we start to focus oh. on the marketing and the machinations of it. And we're like, yeah. Ooh, how can I get more engagement? What can I write that's engaging? What are the yeah. right lyrics that are going to draw attention to me? Right. Because it's not authentic and it feels contrived and it sounds contrived. And we might think it's brilliant, but other people are like, oh, so this is a well, cool Hallmark we, card that you wrote. Yeah, <laughs> like, That's what we don't like about others. Right. I mean, I think, yeah. uh, even with people with terrible qualities, you like them because they're genuine. Or we like them because they're genuine, you know? Yeah, they're definitely more interesting when they're genuine. Yeah. Perfect people are not interesting. <laughs> right. You know? Well, oh. anyone who's trying to buy, you know, buy up the playing field and see what fits, I don't really enjoy that either. I don't want to be played, you know? No. Yeah. But, yeah, but when we show up as vulnerably as possible and when we sort of get into the depth of ourselves... I mean, yeah. you know, it's your it's your thing, right? Getting on has always been plan A. When we ditch plan A right. and we allow ourselves to stay, mm-hmm. when we start to ask the tough questions. Where are you going? What are you running to? We wind up in a space where we're speaking to something deeper and more universal about what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. And how can people not relate to that? That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I, just, I, mean, I think I, I think being human is a struggle for all of us, especially in the past year. Yeah, so I think when and, you speak to that struggle, how can people not relate, right? You know, I I think that you're right about that, and I, I hope that I am too. You know, I think I am. I think I am too. You know, I've been blessed to have this kind of life. You know, to where the things that made the Camino great for me are because of things that I, I went through before that. You know, and then being able to get. You know, I remember I was working for this agency who as most agents will do try to make as much money off of you and as much for them as possible. And so that can beat you down sometimes and trying to create a relationship of trust with the business minded people, the, you know, the machinery, figure out what to say to these people to, you know, figure them out. that be, that beats me up. And um, I remember when I told him I'm taking this time off, he was like, how can you afford that? 
And it was like, well, how's it in your fucking business? You know, like, excuse me, excuse me for being so harsh. But, you know, that was my first thought. Like, what do you mean? How can I afford it? You know, at first. And the other thought was, you care about me? <laughs> like, I've wanted to know this for the whole time I've met you. You know, how much do you care about me? Obviously a lot. Like, I just kept, I thought about that a lot. And it's like, you know, and I asked myself, how did I, how can I afford it? And he thought, you know, this or this person thought that uh, maybe thought that I, that their company was my only source of income and so mm-hmm. basing their assumptions based on that you know and little did they know I was putting more value into myself and finding avenues in other places to get work and get money and I don't know it's so interesting to be single with no kids to be at this point in my life and to also have gone to college and had a modicum of, of success in other realms but mm-hmm. walked away from those and felt kind of disappointed in myself at times for quitting grad school or quitting teaching job or Something that, you know, nobody really understood. And that's kind of back to that question. Where are you going? What are you running to? Why are you quitting grad school? Why are you quitting teaching? Why are you, why are you moving to Oregon? Why are you moving to Spain? Like, what's wrong with you? What are, what are you doing? And it's like, well, the, all of these things inhibit my ability to like, just be vulnerable to others and be, and not calculate. And I don't want to calculate, you know, I don't want to be a person who's calculating my moves. I had to be that person as a kid, you know, with my dad. And, and I had to be that person in college too. When you get there, it's all about calculating what professor likes me the most. You know, it's like, what can I write that they're going to love mm-hmm. and that they're going to recommend me for grad school? And then when you get to grad school, it's like, well, what can I find out and give to them as free information for their papers that they have to publish? So they'll help me write my dissertation, you know, and there's really no freedom in any of that. And I'm fortunate now that I'm only doing music and I'm making a really nice living the same as I made as a teacher and I'm totally free to do what I want. And the only compromise I make at this point is is that I sing a lot. I sing probably 60% covers at my shows and they're covers I love. I've just found what covers I like. You know, I like the nineties country, George Strait, Garth Brooks. I grew up on that shit. I fucking love it. Clint Black, you know, I love Johnny Cash and Waylon and Willie because those that's just great old school sounding music and people love it. I mean, they love hearing me sing it. And that's fun, too. You know, and that's not a compromise, really. I mean, singing something the Camino taught me is that when you're a monk, that's what you do. You sing. You go out and sing for 10 minutes and then you meditate for an hour and a half and you do that nine times a day. And that's your whole life. And I was like, I just like blows my mind. It's like that's your highest offering to the Lord to sing. Well, then, yeah, I like this profession. You know, it's like, <laughs> I feel like maybe what I'm doing is pretty valuable. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe I think I about haven't that totally lot. screwed up my life. I, no, I love I love that you say that. I think one of the hardest things about choosing an unconventional path is all of the social messaging around it. Everybody loves to ask you questions like, oh, why? Right. Why did you do that? You know, and there's that illusion of concern where they're like, oh, well, that was an interesting choice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why? How do you feel about that? Is that is that good for you? You know, and the truth is the only voice you really need to be listening to is yours. Mm -hmm. Like the internal call that's put on you. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. Sometimes those aren't logical choices. But when you follow them, I mean, you've been able to make a living. You've been able to make a living despite the fact that people might have sat you down and been like, Joe, really should finish grad school. Yeah. Well, right. And I believed it, you know, like in a way it's like, oh, fuck. Well, when we don't- but I also learned to be grateful because one thing that l- allowed me to walk away from those situations is not understanding how valuable those situations are for people like me, you know, or what I mean by people like me is, you know, my parents worked hard. 
they didn't have money to send me to college, you know, but they worked hard to take care of us up to the point where I had good enough grades to where I could get accepted just about anywhere. I might have to take a loan or two, but you know, without my parents, I wouldn't have been smart enough to go to grad school, but our socioeconomic station, you know, so I, I'm really grateful for those opportunities. And I still have a tinge of regret for not respecting the institutions that allowed me to come in and see what they were about, you know, but at the same time, <laughs> the other part's totally true that they had no business telling me that and, and, and they're wrong. You know, at this point, I have a lot of vindication and a lot of my closest a lot of people, my mom, my stepdad, who are very important to me, support me 100% now more than ever. And that's, awesome. and that's great for me, you know, and um, other people support me more too. people that I knew in my past reach out all the time. And they're like, wow, dude, you know, we've always remembered you. You're an interesting character. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking killing it, you know, and, and I appreciate that. No, I just think that there's something to be said for showing up as your full self and for answering that call, for letting yourself shut out the social noise and say yes to the unconventional thing that calls to you at night. Yeah. Because and there's no a reason doubt, it calls yeah. you. You're such a great, well, you're so eloquent. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's kind of you to say. Um yeah, but I i mean, oh, we're songwriters, right? We think about stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, well, and that's what I mean. Yeah. And I've gone through that, you know, Carowa, after I, I went and I read Into the Wild also on one back, coming back from one of my journeys and then so good. went to the movies and watched it and came home, loaded my shit in my car and fucking left. You know, and within two days, I withdrew from college at Texas Wesleyan, wow. quit my job, quit my job at Taverna in downtown Fort Worth where I was assistant manager. And I was like, I'm fucking out of here, you know, and yeah listening to that call and it was very destructive towards my family relationships and any social relationship i had left at the college level or yeah i was it was it was a hard move you know but in the end i just couldn't have done it any other way honestly and the way you put it i would like to go back and listen to <laughs> <laughs> the good news but, uh, is once this airs as a radio show you can listen to it as a podcast exactly yeah but I did leave at night. I left Halloween night, you know, October 31st, 2008 and wow. uh, no, 2007. And I uh, drove to Big Springs that night in Te Big Springs, Texas. And I made it that far and I was doing videos. Man, if I would have kept my old YouTube channel up, I'd be a famous vlogger right now because I was doing it when it wasn't popular. And I, my family watched that shit and they would call me and bitch and, you know, or, or worry and, you know, so... I was, you know, I was just reading poetry and filming my life, really. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, that was when I got the heaviest criticisms of, like, you better get into the system or else, buddy. <laughs> you know, you're fucking blowing it. <laughs> and everybody here around is going down with you. But there's, yeah, it's, and it's hard to explain sometimes why you trust those inner voices. But when you do, initially they can be destructive. But, you know, Picasso says every act of creation is at first an act of destruction. And I yeah, think there's nice. some truth to that. Like you have to destroy what you think you are and what you think you're meant to be in order to be what you're actually meant to be. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about that. The more that you can get away from things that bind you is, is better. Yeah. I love that you talk about this song as sort of a moment of reckoning with yourself, because I think that's such a cool, a cool truth of what it means to be an artist and such a cool truth of really what it means to be anybody who wants to pursue purpose in life. Because, you know, I feel very blessed that my purpose is art. It sounds like you feel the same way. And that's Absolutely. been super rewarding for you with this song because you've had you've had some significant Modicum. success on yeah. Spotify and all <laughs> yeah. these other channels, which is so cool. And a proof of concept, right, that says that when you show up authentically, when you speak from that vulnerable place, like really good things happen. It resonates with people. 
Yes, it's been a great confirmation for me because there's been some criticism over and just to compare to what what I what we've done since that recording, you know, that maybe that wasn't the best recording to put out, but uh I think it is and and I think it because it's it's true. It's it's true like you were just saying, you know. And the last verse is, is kind of like a resolution to myself too, you know, like the first the second verse we made a promise that day in the backyard did you really mean those things that you said. I'll work a little hard to be better. I can't remember the next one. I wish line. that you would understand. I wish that you would understand. Yeah. And then I wish that you would understand where are you going? You yeah. Know? And, and so there's that too. It's Whoa. like, you know, people sometimes think I don't understand where I'm going. And that's the hardest criticism of navigating those call inner calls, you know, is blocking out other people's negative perceptions and like doubts, you know, doubt is the killer, you know. And then, you know, the last one, wait until the, you can wait until the morning for your leaving. Everything's not always fair trade. And like, that's me. I'm trying to, you know, it's me trying to definitely lend to the story of a couple, you know, maybe like yeah. they're fighting and, you know, blah, 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 wait till the morning. But also it's, you know, fair trade for real. Like everything cannot be fair trade. I cannot, you know, there was this time in my life when I was dating a really beautiful person uh, from Door County, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. and her name was Jackie and we you know we we really loved each other and we traveled around America together but she brought me to her hometown and she got me a job at this place you know and what did I do I wrote him a laundry list of bullshit about not using styrofoam cups anymore you know like I mean I was, so I was always so heated always going so fast always trying my hardest to like embrace these ideas that I thought were correct uh, green and uh, but I was so blinded by fanaticism you know and but it's hard to not feel fanatic about something that i felt was so unjust and still feel is but everything's not always fair trade i'm not going to get anywhere by fighting others by telling other people they don't know what they're doing especially businesses that are just trying to make it you know and even the corporate level somebody's trying to do something for somebody else a lot of times you know and it's unfortunate to have to realize so it's like, I have to come to terms with that. You know, like uh, I can just slow down and wait. You know, I don't have to argue with you today. Don't have to tell you that <laughs> I think I'm better than you to, you know, or all this crap. I, everything's not always fair trade. You know, you get along just fine until the other shoe drops. You know, I like the other shoe drop idiom because I don't understand it very well. It's hard I, for me to. <laughs> I love that though, because that was actually the line that I had picked out as the one that resonated most deeply with me. Awesome is that idea of you get along just fine until the other shoe drops because i think i mean i'm super type a right which is weird in a musician there are many of us it also means that i am type a and current like totally what's type so, a very meticulous and organized oh. and a little bit ridiculous about it okay. um, but it also means that because i'm an artist i'm surrounded by people who are not type a so um, good, you know it's good it's good to learn and to adjust <laughs> I hear, and to be like take a breath but i think you know we're always planning and we're always trying to anticipate the worst thing that could happen or the next worst thing that could happen but the beauty when you answer that call when you sort of surrender to who you are inside and to what you're called to do you know and to hell what everybody else thinks is the other shoe dropping isn't really that bad yeah because you're in a place where you are primed mentally spiritually physically to deal with it yeah and so the Um, other shoe dropping isn't like a cataclysmic fall that you know ranges somewhere on the richter scale it's just (laughs) yeah it's just you know a small you're walking you're fucking walking yes there (laughs) yes the other shoe dropping is just the next step i love it is you know and i've had to accept that with all my formerly fanatic feelings (laughs) you know (laughs) 
because that's it you know yeah people try to talk shit it's like you know i want to have a garden i want to eat from my garden and then people oh you'll never be able to do that but then you do it and you're like damn i did all this work i got one meal and two juices you know and and you're like maybe i can't do it you know (laughs) and that and like i love your perspective on the other shoe dropping that it has to drop you know because for me it was a criticism of accepting that like okay well fuck it you know (laughs) the other shoe is gonna always drop so i can't be so fanatic i can't be so beelined you know because that other shoe is coming i can't pretend to be anything corporate man suit and tie i can't pretend to be a husband or you know or a good worker you know i'm not a good worker so <laughs> well you are when you're working i mean you are you've made music a yeah, career. you're a good worker when you're working at what is meant for you i'm not a good employee ah well that's different yeah. Um, I'm not either, but that's why I'm my own boss. You that's know, I th- <laughs> that's that's why we did what we did. And I think I went through a period where I was a good employee. Yeah, same. And but I think I the like, other shoe drop and hurt in those times. It hurt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And the other <laughs> shoe ultimately dropped in a way that said, okay, this is not the right place for me to be. Right. You're not going to get what you want here. And then I think a lot of people fight through that. And I think it's unfortunate that the ways that I feel our society and family units are constructed forces a lot of people to do that for the greater good of their children for someone else. And I, that's a, that's an admirable, you know, and that's some, that's a quality that I don't share with many people my age is that I'm not admirably devoting my life to another human being because I don't have to, <laughs> you know, but I admire it in other people and I wish that I could have it. And maybe one day I will. But I'm glad that I've been able to not have it to this point so that I can make the, these kind of decisions. Because, you know, if I had a kid while I was in grad school, I would have had a woman telling me, you better stay in there. You know, you're not you're not quitting. I would have had more voices being like, no, are you kidding me? You know, and I probably would have stayed. And I, I would have been a different man, but the same, a good man, you know, but that was not my life. So, But I met people like that in there. It would have been a smaller life. Yeah, that's I a good way to put it. That's the interesting thing to me is... When we allow ourselves to internalize those social messages, when we stop asking the questions in your song, when we stop listening for those calls and we just sort of accept what we believe the world has laid upon us, we allow ourselves to settle for less than we're worth and less than we're meant for. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, I used to think that it was impossible to be in this career and have a partner or be in yeah. this career and have a family or right. be in this career and you know have people not constantly ask you questions like, Oh, so when are you going to go back to corporate America? <laughs> right, How right. long are you going to do this music thing? Yeah. And, and what I think now is that's just us imposing the same limitations on the universe that yeah. society imposes on us. And that yeah. maybe it's not our job to project what we think our world is going to look like or no, to you're right. You're right. make I mean. suppositions about what we can and can't handle. And maybe it's our job to just show up and say yes and except that maybe the things for which we're meant are bigger than we could conceive yeah well i i that's you touched on something currently that i'm practicing you know i'm spending a lot of time alone because i'm fortunate to be playing outside of the dfw area now and so it's like two hour drives you know one hour there one hour or two hours there two hours back and so i'm listening to a lot more self-help books you know i've gone through some spiritual stuff but also like malcolm gladwell's talking to strangers which we've touched on a lot of different themes from that book today but the practice of getting to the gig and accepting that you know I'm not going to suck because I'm here. Why would I be here if I were going to be terrible tonight? You know, and then practicing that with each note, even though I might hear a note I missed or something, but like, no, I mean, they love me. The crowd loves me. Everyone here is so happy. I'm singing, you know, I'm doing a great job because I'm 
because like you said, I've been put here because I'm saying yes to this. I'm driving down here. I'm going to walk in here, meet all these strangers. And I'm, you know, I'm making more compromises like wearing this cool hat, you know, by <laughs> and by Western styles, you know, and I bought some boots and my life continually pushes me, you know, with my spiritual practice. And the Camino is a very spiritual walk. It's a pilgrimage and, you know, it's, it has thousand, a couple thousand years of or 1200 1300 years of history but uh so the uh, right before just recently i got the six flags offer i got this you know i was referred to someone in the six flags organization in arlington and they hired me for my first really big awesome music contract and that part of I, my question what's the wardrobe and he was like well cowboy hat boots and blue jeans and i was like well i have all that in my mind i'm thinking i have perfect cowboy shirts perfect blue jeans but i still wear business shoes and fedoras or felt hats, you know, I've never crossed over to this Texas look. So the contract pushed me to do what I already needed to be doing. And since I've been wearing the same costume to other gigs, it works, you know, I mean, instead of walking into Leroy, Texas with my long hair and fedora, and they're like, who's this, you know, who's this? And I walk in there, like, oh, he's one of us. He's got a straw cowboy hat on. He spent $300 on those boots. I like him, you know? And, and I like that about a uniform and, and something my stepdad told me a, a lot too, is, you know, you need to load in in a t-shirt and then go to the bathroom if you have to and put your uniform on before you go on stage. And it works, you know, because the uniforms work. That's why police wear them. That's why doctors wear them. I mean, it works. So I have a uniform. This is my, this is my uniform in Texas, you know, but uh, maybe if I, maybe when I get enough recognition as a artist i can make my own uniform you know which is the almost high honor of uniforms you know <laughs> so it's so true though and it, it it is it's like completely giving yourself over to that role saying i'm yeah. not holding anything back like i'm right. gonna sacrifice the fedora i'm gonna let go of the shoes yeah. i'm just gonna completely and totally show up in that yeah and when i was growing up in the 90s george Strait was cool but also not being uh not being very conservative in my political beliefs, you know, I didn't want to don this cowboy hat, you know, not all I'm totally stereotyping and, and, but this is how stereotypes affect me and exactly. generalizations also, you know, inform who I am and the decisions I make, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> but since I've embraced it, it's great. I mean, one of the gigs, I, it was so funny. I'm loading in and it's hot, but I always make a point to have my hair down. You know, I'm trying to create that image and like, I'm trying to make posters and photos and everything look the same. And so I always have my hair down when I walk in, but I put it up while I'm a bench pretty quick in summer. You know what I mean? But anyways, this guy, <laughs> yes, comes I hear up, you. <laughs> guy comes by and he's like, what are you going to sing tonight? <laughs> you know? He's like, he meant, he's like country, you know, there was no doubt in his mind what I was going to sing because I look with the cowboy hat and boots and blue jeans and the plaid butt pearl snap. There's like, what else would I be singing tonight? You know, and I like that. It makes things yeah. clearer for everybody. It also helps categorize my originals and helps people place them somewhere. You know, yeah. they don't seem so outlandish. I'm not Jack Kerouac over there with a guitar every time I play a, an original. Yeah, I'm it's probably funny. rambling again. <laughs> no, it's funny how we create identities for ourselves as an artist. And it's funny because I feel like the identity isn't so much an intentional creation as it is just us making a decision over and over and over to step into a truer version of ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, dressing up is part of life. There's just different hats, you know, different hats you wear for different occasions. And I've always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed that kind of nostalgia for times where you wore a certain thing to a dance, you know, or you wore a certain thing to a dinner and you wore your uniform to work. And then on Saturdays you wear shorts, you know, or something. <laughs> but 
that the people closest to you see the even more raw true human side of you not dressed up you know like uh, not hair combed and all that you know yeah for me they get to figure out who i am without heels on (laughs) (laughs) significantly it's a it's a significant dip i'm not i'm not gonna say anything for those of you who can't see though joe has longer and prettier hair than i do so (laughs) it's so pretty i don't know about that well thank you oh no i don't um i can't see it very well because i'm looking at you (laughs) no it's nice i yeah i think it is and you know you strip off those layers one by one with your inner circle and let them see sort of the fuller picture so that you create something a little bit more 3d but when you're trying to create a first impression it is sometimes helpful to step a little bit into a stereotype because people know where to put you exactly and i i I hated that so much you know it's like i'm not that let me tell you how deep i am but no the more that i embrace it the better off i am and the more that my music's being received and you know it's a business i'm selling a product so whatever i can do to make that product more accessible to these people because this is the best job i've ever had and i'm not going back to anything else you know what i mean so more that i can maintain my creative side and take a look at what people want and how to deliver it you know those things those things really help you know i'm so glad that you found something that makes you so happy i think that's amazing and i think it shows in the new music yeah thank you i'm glad it's kind of obvious yeah for sure it shows the new music i'm really excited because the next thing that we get to do is let people hear what happened with first sign of danger when you went into the studio they get to sort of see the progression of taking this idea that you had on the road while you're walking scribbling into a notepad how you took this to the studio so before we get there if people want to find you if they want to listen to your music if they want to support your journey and help you become more and more joe savage where's the best place for them to do that joesavagemusic.com all the links to facebook instagram patreon are all there and if you want the album right now you can get that for two dollars on patreon but only until july 14th also i will say that we have another version of this song coming up and an album that'll be out in a year or so yeah so the walk continues you know (laughs) that's so cool what a great metaphor the walk does continue so people can also find you on spotify and contribute to the growing numbers on this song and it will be added to our journey of a song playlist as well so you can hear it there but best place for people to get the album early for only two dollars is patreon.com slash joe savage and that's j-o-e-s-a-v-a-g-e for those who are listening on the radio and if you're listening on podcasts just scroll up and click the link yeah and if you want to buy some merch joe savage merch m-e-r-c-h.com there you go you too can get in touch with your countryside so (laughs) my friend and if people want even more of you they can hear you right on this very station deep lm radio tuesdays at 7 p.m where you not only step into your country but you help to shed a light on all of the other cool country artists in dfw who are making it happen yeah yeah i'm I'm playing all the locals a couple of classic songs but yeah it's pretty cool opportunity i'm really glad to be a part of y'all's you know the the deep ellum radio and and i feel like i feel like we all got really lucky finding yeah venue chris is is a great guy i think he's got good uh good foresight good vision he does yeah he's good people all right my friend the next thing we do right here on deep ellum radio is we're going to play the recorded version of first sign of danger would you like to introduce your song Yep, I'm Joe Savage. This is First Side of Danger. Running at the first side of danger Getting gone's 
feel obliged to pay Where are you going? What are you running to? What are you thinking? Cause I ain't got a clue I'm missing something Oh, tell me the truth What am I to do about what's bothering you? for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of a Song featuring country artist Joe Savage. To learn more about Joe or to follow his musical journey, visit him on Patreon at patreon.com slash joesavage. That's patreon.com slash j-o-e-s-a-v-a-g-e. For behind the scenes glimpses and more about Journey of a Song, follow me on Instagram at at emmelinemusic. That's at e-m-m-e-l-i-n-e music. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Journey of an Artist, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Friday on your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. This is only the beginning, and I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song is worth a thousand stories.